service is one of the most precious and beautiful gifts that we have on this side of eternity. Uh, you know, when we go to heaven, we'll be able to serve the Lord. But now we get a chance to serve the Lord in secret. When we get to heaven, the Lord will judge all people and all of the motives of our hearts. Everything that we've ever done, it will all come to the light. But it's on this side of eternity that we get to serve in secret. It's a very beautiful and precious gift that the Lord has given us. But unfortunately, I think, especially in our culture, we devalue service. as kind of one of the lesser gifts. We like prayer. We like fasting. We like reading the Word and reading theology and commentaries. But serving is so precious. One of the most precious things the Lord taught us was to wash, wash each other's feet, wasn't it? Right? Uh, and so I have a little bit of fear and trembling in my heart that I would do justice to the beauty and the, and the value of, of service in the Lord's heart. But, um, you know, first of all, it's, it's very relevant that we're talking about service in the Inward Discipline series. I think it's first important to realize that service is truly a spiritual discipline. It's not just busy work. It's not just, we're really going to get into this today. Uh, but one thing, one way to think about the spiritual disciplines is that we can practice and exercise them and grow. And the spiritual disciplines produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives. So when you think about prayer, I mean, of course we pray so that the Lord will answer our prayers. It's not just a spiritual discipline. But when we practice the discipline of prayer, we grow in faith, we grow in perseverance, we grow in compassion. When we fast, we practice that discipline. It creates the spiritual hunger in us. Well, um, service, when we serve others, it creates humility in our lives. Um, there's this book called The Celebration of Discipline. Um, I think the stalkers might be at their uh, the ships right now at work. Uh, but they, they love this book. Um, and I often poke fun at them because everything that they do is somehow revolved around celebration of discipline and spiritual formation. If you're wondering about this kind of thing, they are the experts. Um, but I highly recommend this book. I first found out about it in high school, and it's probably one of five books that I've read multiple times. And actually, my wife and I are trying to uh, read through this book again just to remind ourselves. Very, very uh, amazing book. But I just want to read something that Richard Foster says in his chapter about service. More than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. Humility is one of those virtues that is never gained by seeking it. In other words, if you're trying to be humble, that's not going to work very well for you. And then he says this. This is even better. Uh, to think we have humility is sure evidence that we don't. <laughs> if you're like, hey, I'm a pretty humble guy, you know, I'm good at this, that's, that's not the right sign. But, he says, you know what, there is something that we can do. We do 
not need to go through life faintly hoping that someday humility may fall upon our heads. Of all the disciplines, service is the most conducive to the growth of humility. When we set out on a consciously chosen course of action that accents the good of others and is a hidden work, deep change occurs in our spirits. So number one, we need to start thinking of service as a true spiritual discipline and not just busy work and homework and chores. Uh, but the second thing is that not only is it a spiritual discipline, what I want to talk about today is that it is an inward discipline. Service, obviously, you need to go outward. You need to go out and actually get your hands dirty and serve others, your co-workers, your family members. But it's the outward manifestation of an inward reality. You can do the same action in two ways. Let's say it's washing the dishes, or helping around the house, or serving uh, for, for setup on Sundays, or making copies for your boss. It can either be just a chore, or maybe yourself you're trying to serve yourself. Maybe you're trying to grow in your career or your degree. It can either be that, or if you align your heart with the Lord's desire, that now turns into the spiritual discipline of service. And so what I want to focus on today is that inward, the inward dimension of how do we serve the Lord instead of just being kind of tired and grumbling and, and just weary from our work. And so um, let's turn to uh, Ephesians 6. Ephesians, Philippians. I'll start at verse 1, and it's the ESV for the slides. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the context is Paul is kind of teaching the church about uh, proper roles of submission. And he says this, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And this is kind of relevant to what Michelle was talking about today. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. Now, I don't want to get into uh, a rabbit trail here, but it is important to talk about um, some history here, because this is somewhat of a controversial passage. In older versions of the Bible, this word doulos was translated as slave, uh, but newer translations have all updated to bondservant, because when we think about slaves, we think about the brutality 
of the American trade, uh, the slave system, where people were brutally separated from their families, brought across the Atlantic, and forced to work without any pay. And so that's what we kind of think about when we think of slavery, and this is not what this chapter is talking about. The Bible is unequivocally against the injustice of slavery in our nation, in our nation's history, and also against the trafficking, the trafficking that occurs even today in our world. So even though it is a, you know, it sometimes is a controversial passage, I don't want us to be distracted from the importance of this word. The bond servants back then uh, in the Roman Empire uh, made up about one-third of the population. So most of the people in the church were actually bond servants. You could actually sell yourself into servitude for financial uh, provision. So it was often voluntary. Um, you could also purchase your freedom, uh, which is also very different. That's why the word slave is not the right word. Uh, so Paul actually instructs slaves or bond servants, if you can buy your freedom, go ahead and do that. But if you can't, live as though you were free. And in fact, the Bible completely revolutionizes the social structure. Right? So you had this, for example, you had this weird thing that would happen where, uh, think about this, masters and their bond servants would come to church together and... Sometimes the, you know, the master's over the bondservant at home, but in the church, the bondservant was the elder of the church, and the master was the layperson, right? Because the Bible completely revolutionized where it's neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Gentile, right? And in fact, if you look at the book of Philemon, I was confused who's who, but Philemon was the... Uh, the master, and his uh, bondservant Onesimus ran away, but Paul says uh, to Philemon, please forgive one Onesimus and take him back as a brother. And historically, if you look at it, there's evidence that Onesimus, who was the bondservant, he eventually became the bishop of the church of Ephesus after Timothy. And so again, I want us to think not in terms of American slavery, but the Bible completely reworks the structure. At the same time, though, Paul still says, he doesn't say rebel against your masters. He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, not by way of eye service. Think about that. Imagine if you had no possessions of your own. You were not doing this to get a master's degree. You were not doing this to advance your career. Think about being someone where you have no future goals, really. You have no future ambitions. You know, you don't, you don't, you can't be called to be a missionary. You can't be called to be a doctor or a lawyer, all these things that we exalt. You know what Paul says? He says, that work is just as important as all the other work that everyone else does. God does not show partiality. The work of service that we do is infinitely valuable to God. We love to exalt the work of the doctor, the lawyer, whatever it is, the athlete. But God doesn't look at that at all. He looks right at the heart. 
So what does Paul say to these people that, again, they're, they're doing work around the house, work around with the animals, taking care of children sometimes, all day, every day, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What does he say? Serve God with a sincere heart. I mean, we got to hear this. Some of us are frustrated at our bosses. Our boss is so annoying. They're demanding so much. Or our professors, oh, they gave me the wrong grade on this paper. Serve them with a sincere heart. You see, the, the picture here of service is an inward reality that's manifested outwardly. Number two, do not serve by way of eye service. When we work, do we work to please others? You know, something that Pastor Daryl always emphasizes with the setup crew and all that. Uh, I haven't been there at 7.30 in a long time. I know you guys, especially those of you from retreat, you guys must be really just zonked right now. But, you know, he always emphasizes we are not serving Hilltop Church primarily. We're not serving Daryl Temple. We're not serving Bethany Temple. We're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not doing this for the appearances or the praises of man. Right? That's why he says, indeed, serve as you would Christ. As bondservants of Christ. As to the Lord. And he says that there will be a reward for this. I think this inward discipline of aligning our hearts with the Lord is one of the most relevant disciplines that we can practice. Why? Because... Um, so uh, recently, Danielle and I have been like, our bed is like about to fall apart. We got it five years ago off of Craigslist, and it's, it's a mess. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, it's, a, it's a cliche. Everyone knows this, but she told me, John, we got to get a great bed because you spent one-third of your lifetime on your bed, right? <laughs> well, if you, if you, I thought about this. If you work a 40-hour job, which is actually like basically part-time in Boston, Right? But if you, if you work a 40-hour job, that's one-third of your waking hours at work. If we don't get in alignment, those, that one-third of our lives, we're just spending frustrated, trying to go for the next thing, trying to go for the promotion, just, just this angst of, what am I doing with my life? It is critical that we learn to align our hearts with the Lord. I know some of you have been in school for a long time, and it's just this drudgery. Align your heart with the Lord. And that's what I want to kind of focus on today, is the inward discipline. Just like we pray or read the Bible, the inward discipline of fixing our eyes on the Lord. I think this is hard because our culture is very human-centric. And we're going to go off on a little tangent here, but I think this is important. Our culture is very human-centric. It's very self-centric, self-centered. And so if you just think about how our culture operates, it's basically like, I will do whatever I want to do as long as I don't hurt other people. There's no mention of God in the equation. So, you know, as long as I don't other, uh, bother other people, for instance, uh, you know, I can sexually promiscuous, or I can get drunk on the weekends, and hey, I'm not hurting anybody. And so there's no, there's no sense in our culture that God is the one that we measure by, not by other human beings and what other humans think. 
And so I want to show us today, again, a little bit of a tangent, but I felt impressed upon my heart that we got to get a sense that God is in control, and He governs everything. He governs what is good. He governs what is bad. I'm not sure if I'm being clear, but our daily actions aren't just about us and how we impact us. It's really, none of us really matter. Let me explain it this way. What matters is one day we'll be standing in front of the throne of God and he's going to judge every single one of us for everything that we have ever done. And if we name the name of Christ, it will be the day of our commendation, which means God will reward us for the things by the mercy and the blood of Jesus. But all of our motives will be brought to light. That is what matters, not what our coworkers think, not what our boss thinks, not what the people in the church think. And you see that actually there's two ways to think about this. Um, one is, on the one hand, um, if, you, if we sin against other people, we're actually not primarily sinning against the people. We're actually primarily sinning against the Lord. So Psalm 51, we all know this. Uh, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to the abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David committed adultery and, and caused the uh, husband of Bathsheba to get killed in war. And yet, and, and listen, he wasn't just like not admitting his fault. He was fasting, he was broken over his sin. But at the end of the day, when you see his prayer to the Lord, it's against you and you alone. Why? Because the story of David's life was that he was one that was fixed on the Lord's eyes and not on the opinions of man. Think about the stories of how he didn't kill Saul twice, uh, even though he could have gone ahead. Why? Because he's fixed on what the Lord thinks and what the Lord desires. And then when you have that heart, your actions aren't about people. They're about what does God think. Here's another example. I was kind of, um, this is a while back, but I was reading through Genesis. So Genesis 9, uh, verse 4, uh, for the translators. Uh, I'll just read it. So it says, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And all of a sudden, I was just very convicted by the fact that, so here, it's the first time we kind of see, it's like a preview to the law, right? It's the first time where we see that, I mean, there's Cain and Abel. It's the first time we see that there is a requirement for sin, and that requirement for sin is justice. And that justice requires blood. It's actually a preview 
uh, to what Jesus would pay for us on the cross. But I thought about this. It says the reason why sin is so bad is because God made man in his image. So when we sin against each other, we are marring the image of God. And I was sitting on the train thinking about this, and there was this um, person that was arguing, and they were arguing over the phone, and I was just so grieved in my heart, and I was so personally convicted about my own arguments with Daniela. The issue is not even primarily that I'm offending Daniela, and, and you know she's offending me, or we offend each other. The issue is that we're grieving the Lord's heart. We were made in God's image, and we were called to such a high standard. But when we sin, we break that. We break that. Uh, responsibility we have with God as image bearers. I want us to, my prayer is that our minds will be transformed from thinking about human beings all the time to thinking about what does the Lord think. So this is really the idea when Paul says, serve not your master, but to the Lord, it's the same thing. Because when we sin, we sin against God, it's the same thing on the reverse. When we do good, we're also doing good to the Lord. In fact, in uh, Colossians 3, uh, Paul says a very similar thing to the bondservants in the church. And he actually says, serve us unto the Lord. And he says, literally, you, so, you know, uh, when they're serving their masters, he says, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. When we serve our bosses at work, when we serve at church, when we serve our spouses, we're actually serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to read a passage. Um, this is a long one. But um, Matthew 25, if you turn there. And, um, you know, honestly, sometimes when I read a passage like Matthew 25, I'm just like, why do we even preach? I mean, I know the Bible says we should exhort each other. It's just, honestly, in my heart, like, you can leave here today and forget about everything I said. If you just remember Matthew 25, I'm happy. <laughs> sometimes, let's just gather around the Word of God and take it seriously. Matthew 25, uh, verse 31. Let's, let's try to imagine this. If, you, if, you, if it helps you to focus, you can close your eyes. You know, whatever you need to do. Let's, let's focus in on this. Because it seems to be a theme today. This, this is all that matters, friends. This, this is real. Like, how can, you, how can you be concerned about work and about your classes and about, you know, taking care of the kids and, and taking them to the daycare and all? Like, Focus on this, and all that other stuff just disappears. So Matthew 25, verse 31. I'm going to read this whole section. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, 
you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There is nothing more important than this. For those of you that have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, whether we believe it or not, there will be a day of reckoning, and we will stand before the Lord and have to give an account. And if you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be an eternity of regret and pain and suffering and separation from the one who loves you and gave his life for you. But for those of us who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, all of those days of hardship, all of those days of boredom at work, all of those days of just the mundane chores, all of those days taking care of our kids and we just wonder, what's the purpose of it all sometimes? All those days taking on two shifts of work, God will see it and reward every single one of those moments. If we say, Lord, we do it unto you, we are serving you. There is nothing more important then this reality, standing before the Lord, on this side of eternity. That is why I believe that service is an inward discipline as much as it is outward. This might, it is hard, it is hard to, I mean, if you, if you read through just, People back in the day, let's just say. One of the primary obsessions that the early church through the Reformation had was, let me keep eternity in front of me. I mean, even Leonard Ravenhill says a similar thing. It's just, it, it is a struggle to 
keep eternity in front of us and the earthly concerns out of our sight. That is a challenge. But I'm telling you today that it is a spiritual discipline that we work on day after day after day. This might seem very abstract. It might seem very high and lofty. It is. But practically, what does this look like? Well, first, of course, we need to... Um, we need to put effort into serving others. You know, maybe at work there's a friend that wants to go to a birthday party. And they say, or a coworker, you know, and, and they say, hey, can you take on this extra shift of work and you're tired and you don't, you don't need the extra money. But you say, Lord, I want to do this out of service to you. Or maybe, you know, you just go the extra mile to do something special for your spouse. Yes, serve that Serve your spouse with all the love and the tenderheartedness, but also fix your eyes on Christ. Lord, I want to do this to you, do this for you because it's pleasing to you. Isn't it amazing that in Matthew 25, Jesus identifies with those that we're serving? To the point that if we are serving someone, now it's in the context of ministering to the poor and the needy and the broken, but whenever we serve someone, even with a small cup of water, it says. Even if it's just spending time with someone on the street that needs help, the Lord says, you are serving me. To the point that even if we remind ourselves, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised that we were serving the Lord the whole time. Like we know it, but then when we get to heaven, Jesus will say, thank you for serving me, my beloved. And it will be a surprise to us. There are so many instances where we don't even remember the things that we've done for people. We don't even remember, but God sees it all. And if we can connect to that, that brings our work alive. So practically, yes, we practice saying, okay, I'll take on the extra workshop. I'll do something extra for my company where they need help. Or I'll, I'll throw in to volunteer at church or you know, at a soup kitchen, whatever it is. We practice that. At the same time, we practice the inward meditation. It might not seem concrete. It doesn't seem like we're doing anything. But um, that's what prayer is like. That's what reading the word is like. It is inward. And some of us are afraid to work our inward muscles. We think we have to get something done. We need to see results. But it's about a transformation of our hearts where I say, Lord, I choose to serve you today. In my daily life, Again, it's not some, I know some of you are like, this is not practical enough. It's not, I want some goals. I want, I want a, you know, like a tracker, or a, you know, a daily plan. But it's that practice, that inward discipline of saying, Lord, I choose, this is my, this is my small offering today. That's what it is. It's just turning your heart towards him. So I want to close with uh, just reading some Kind of, again, I highly recommend this book. There's a lot of practicals in here. But, uh, again, Richard Foster, he focuses on some of the inward aspects of service. Even though the section is on outward disciplines. Uh, he says, and he, and he kind of has us think about our hearts. What's the difference between self-righteous service and true biblical service? 
Self-righteous service comes through human effort. I love that. That is a challenge for me. True service comes from a relationship with the divine. Self-righteous service is impressed with a big deal. I also shy. I mean, I struggle with all things, basically. Self-righteous service is impressed with a big deal. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. Every single one of us needs to hear this. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. True service rests contented, contented in hiddenness. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. And true service is free of the need to calculate results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. So as we start our daily lives tomorrow, number one, I would encourage us as we're closing up the series to pick some practical things that we can work on. It doesn't have to be huge. For me and Daniela, it was just it just started off by saying, let's just sing a couple of songs together, and then let's just read one chapter of the Bible out loud. And for some reason, that just triggered in us a love for the Word of God, where it's been continuing to grow and grow, and we're listening to, listening to sermons together, and, you know, obviously we have a lot of time now that Daniela and, Daniela and Joshua are home, so that's the gift, but... Choose just a simple thing to start with. And let the Holy Spirit bring that alive in you. But number two, specifically for today, I mean, also practical application, you can read through this book. It'll take a few hours, maybe. Very easy read. Um, but number two, when we start working, let's put that effort in, yes, to go the extra mile, but let's Focus our attention in a meditation of the heart towards the Lord and say, this is all for you, and I'm so glad today to do my work for you, Lord Jesus. Uh, so I'll pray for us, and uh, we'll close. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for the sermon series. Um, I'm so thankful for uh, just, the, just the opportunity to reflect on our inward lives. And it's just something that um, 